Welcome back to season four of Memphis Machine. Where, Episode two. Uh, yeah, indeed. We are targeting? No, that sounds creepy. <laughs> Stalking? We're, yeah, we are, we are focusing on there we go. musicians uh, in Memphis. Yes. Whereas it's, normally we, we have tried in previous seasons to diversify yeah. and cover all of the arts. Yeah, but Memphis is a music town, which is a good thing. Uh, yeah, well, I hope so. We're, we're musicians, and yeah. we need it to be a good yeah. music town. And speaking of music and commerce, you know, we just like to put a little note out there that if you feel so led by the Lord to contribute and be a sponsor of the show, please reach out to us. We would love to read your copy. Because <laughs> we read, we're, we're copy reading fiends. Uh. <laughs> Oh, that sounds pro. Hey, so uh, speaking of which, Joe. Joe. Who just recently was featured on the Eddie Murphy Dolomite uh, Netflix film. He, he, uh, some of the, the interstitial music happening in that, he got to hit that. And uh, uh, But Joe is busy. Joe plays a lot of different things. Super busy. Speaking uh, of Dolomite, we got to get Scott Bomar on here. Mm, Not to take away from Joe. No. We gotta, yeah. Yeah. And uh, which, which a blast of a film, by the way, very cool. And uh, not for kids, mm-hmm. <laughs> not for the children. <laughs> um, yeah, but Joe is 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 fluent, and uh, he's a jazz head. Uh, he's a funkmeister. Uh, he has the old school stacks sound. I mean, he's he's he does a lot of research into what he's going to do. I, I was very inspired. Very knowledgeable yeah. human. Yes. Uh, fluent in the language of soul music. I would say so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it plays and has played with a lot of people. Um, super busy around town. Uh, Love Light Orchestra, the Detective Bureau. Um, the MDs. Yeah, the MDs. Plays with Don Bryant. Tours and with them a lot. Yeah. Just yeah. a recent project they did uh, was doing a, um interpretive... I was going to say interpretive dance, doing it a interpretation of the Beatles record Revolver. Right. The MDs, which is which is a tribute a tribute styled type band of the MGs, Booker. Yeah, exactly. Booker yeah, and uh, which was had a live debut at Crosstown, who we are fans of and have spoken with. Um, anyway, do some research, check out Joe's stuff, his solo records, and uh, enjoy this conversation because we we had a great time hanging with him. We want to do something. I mean, we're still kind of developing it. But we want to do something. That like where we analyze like a band and just kind of like we we'd have like a thir- we'd have a guess and someone maybe even ideally that has nothing to do with or knows anything about say like we were like we we're gonna do like the band Rat okay yeah and like we just have a person who's like really smart and we'll talk about this because like if you read their bios they're insane right like the development of these bands and then they like break up a bit eventually and then they're like fighting. Over the and so like we'll have this we'll have like a third like she has a friend uh, her her really close friend's husband is like a professor of philosophy he's actually U of M like we were like what if we had him on and Mm -hmm. like we just talk about rat and just like goof on the meaning of rat like the meaning of rat and like the (laughs) development of these bands and how they they break up and then like they just keep going and (sighs) they're funny it's funny I don't know. What do you think? What do you think idea. of the documentary of uh, um, Motley Crue? Did you see the documentary on that? Uh, you mean you mean? Are you talking about Dirt? Yeah, yeah. We saw. We had to see it. Well, I mean, it, it wasn't a documentary. It was well, a, the lifestyle yeah. autobiography the, or biography. Yeah, I mean, or, she read the book. We watched the movie. I kind of like. 
kind of bailed on it. Uh, like half, I was like, this isn't a great move. She was like <laughs> on the couch, just like <sighs> riveted. Um, there's a couple few, there's a couple good scenes. There's a scene where they did, I don't know if you saw it, but they did one yeah. where it was like a day in the life of Tommy Lee. Yeah. I thought that was excellent, excellent or really well executed um, and edited. It but seems like if those guys could just avoid heroin, everything would go much better. Heroin, yeah, I mean, all kinds of dick, just like, you know, blow. It's solid life advice. I think. Alcohol. I think if you um, could just stop doing heroin. If, if, to make a recommendation, recommendation though, if you could, if you have an opportunity to see the, this is an actual documentary on, um, on, um, um, God, what's the band? Uh, Twisted Sister. Oh my gosh. It is incredible. Okay. No, I mean, like, so I, I remember. I wasn't up. a fan uh, of the band. I mean, I remember the band. I remember the video, and but yeah. the story of that band is insane. It's it's like they didn't have a hit. It took them like fifteen years to oh, break. Wow. Yes, and they kept they, going. They kept going. Oh, they gosh. were like the um, <laughs> they were the biggest like bar band in the New York area, but the labels wouldn't sign them. Right. They're like, we hate you. We're not yeah, signing you. In right. fact, there was like the guy that ended up like being their champion with, uh, I can't remember which label there. His boss was like, you will not sign this band <laughs> ever. It will never happen. And they were playing like, in the, like if you understand the dynamics of the New York area, it was like Manhattan is like where all the cool things happen yeah. and culture. And they were playing like on the outskirts of the New York area. So they're playing Jersey, they're playing Staten Island, they're playing Long Island, uh-huh. and they're like playing these clubs and in, in halls, and they're like five thousand people there. Wow! And the label's like, no, this band's terrible. <laughs> and they just stuck it out because they started out as like kind of like a post New York Dolls kind of band. Wow. They're like a like that that early glam thing, mm-hmm. and then and the, the the fascinating thing is they have their hit, and come on, feel the noise. Is that what? No, that wasn't their. Um, what was their? No, that was um, that was quite riot. Right. Um, what was? Um, it? We're not going to take it. We're not going to take. it. Look at that. So yeah, I remember that video. So, but anyway, they have the hit, and then the band just like explode implodes. Oh wow! Like they just break up, Couldn't I think, or like. The main guitar player who like started the band quit or whatever. There's a book. I, I, there was a um, an NPR interview of a guy, a musicologist who did. It might have been part of his dissertation, or he just you know part of his gig wrote a book about the development of music in regards to music television, about how that genre of music would not exist if it were not for music for vi- for music videos for the visual. Yeah, yeah. D- that 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 it really accelerated this this genre of music. He said, and the guy made his point of like, look, you know, at the time when when, uh, when MTV was breaking in, you know, the Eagles, but no kids can sit there and watch the Eagles to sit there and like on their, you know, they're they're, they're just not going to. No, I'm know, a, like, I mean, I you, I'm a you, direct. You, you got to have eye candy. This whole you got to have this theatrical circus happening. You well, know oh, I mean? I'm a. I mean, I was right at the perfect age when all that was starting. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm 44. So, like, right when, I mean, I was like a little kid and, like, you know, a little kid that was like being spoon fed <laughs> um, or watching, really watching a lot of television and watching a lot of television that was in syndication. I was watching all the shows in the 60s. Yeah, man. Like from the right. 60s. Yeah, right. And 70s. Gilgan's Island and stuff like that. I'm a huge fan. Ooh. Flipper. Like, <laughs> the the original Batman. Oh, original Batman. So I'm Batman's watching, awesome. like, yeah. I mean, I thought about it now. Star I've Trek. Talked to, I've talked to, mm-hmm. to my girlfriend about it, and it's like, we were, I mean, we had our shows, too, mm-hmm. 
But we were watching a heavy diet of these syndicated shows from really another generation. Yeah, I mean, and don't don't you remember the day where you figured out that oh, that wasn't my my generation. Yeah, no, and I didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, exactly. That's a really yeah. interesting point because I don't think these kids today. I mean, they don't have that. I mean, I think they are re- interacting with earlier generational entertainment in a, in, a, in a certain way, but they know it's from another era. Like we, I was like a little kid just watching this stuff, thought it was current. Yeah, I didn't understand. <laughs> Adam Twelve, do you see Adam Twelve? I'm sorry, no, Adam Twelve. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. Well, actually, cop show in an uh, I don't think we had Adam Twelve here. Where are you from? Southern California. Yeah, I don't think we had Adam Twelve here because I've talked about this with people in different markets. Yeah, and they had certain show like because we'll even like talk about like which weird like um, like Japanese live action or animated yeah. shows you had and we ha- maybe had that you didn't have. Or Cowboy maybe, Bebop or something. Like we didn't have Cowboy, but like Giant Robot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And stuff like that. And like Transor Z was a, was a like, wow. I was obsessed with this uh, uh, cartoon, which was a robot cartoon. And some people had and some people didn't, depending on your market. But then like MTV comes and it's like, that's game changer. Very prescient. That's very now. That's very like, this is happening, and re- you know they break that video pops one day and yeah, I uh, and we're all wa- me we're all watching it. You so know. you know, I mean, just out of the gate, we're already just smoking this this podcast already. This I is, assume, you know, we, because we, I know you, you're rolling. We, we yeah. have we haven't even announced our, our guest. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is good stuff. Now, do <laughs> do, 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 do do folks pronounce Restivo or Restivo or Restivo? Which do you prefer? So if you're down south, you'll say Restivo. Restivo. I don't know why they do that. It's, it's actually pronounced Restivo. <laughs> See, there we go. Um, yes. And so if I'm Joe in, Restivo, ladies and gentlemen, yep, our if guest I'm in, today. <laughs> if I'm in like if I'm in like a northeastern Restivo, or really any uh, no, that's that's just go to. Um, Sorry. And so you know, and I'm getting robocalls. I'm like, it's Restivo. First of all. Um, but if I'm in like you know the New York area, or if I'm in any really in like with with an Italian population, they always yeah. nail it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but down here, I'm used to it. I'm from here. It's fine. I got a I got a funny Italian name. It's okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, Southern California, and then St. Louis, and now Memphis. And I remember the first time I was like, oh, Tennessee has a Milan. No, right, Jonathan. No. What's it called? What do you call it? It's, it's Mylan. I made the same mistake, and I'm Mylan. What is up with that? Okay, no, that, that's cool. Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah. Anyway, and we have we have a <clears throat> we have a uh, a fair we have a, a, a an Italian population. They, you know the old oh, yeah. the old mm-hmm. Delta thing, and there's these family like you got the Lucchese's, and I can't remember all the like families right. that 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 go back really to the early parts of the 20th century. Like there was a lot of grocers that came. Yeah. Um, but our yeah, I mean, my dad moved here. Um, he was in the uh, he was in the navy and met my mom in Millington because there was a base there. Yeah, right. Still and to so, this day, right? Yeah. Still to this day, it yeah. doesn't have the same sort of. Uh, I don't think it has the same sort of function as it did right. back then. I mean, he was doing training uh, on his way to becoming an officer. The navy. This is like 1961. Yeah, this is a long time ago. Yeah, um, and he met my dear Southern mama. Who wow. is from Lucy, Tennessee, and goes back like generations. Goes actually back. Um, well, they can actually trace back to Virginia, but uh, my mom's side is like 1830s. Ended wow. up in West yeah. Tennessee. Yeah, okay, I mean, we yeah. can go back. Um, like I went 
me and my dad went and uh, hung out with a friend of, uh, actually a childhood friend of hers, who's like one of these like, collector guys, you know? You know those guys? Pickers? Um, American Picker? Kind of, <laughs> but it's like, he collects like German pith helmets. Oh, wow. Kind of scary. Um, <laughs> okay. But he like, like, he was like, well, I got a, uh, I got a Confederate. Uh, he, was, he was like, I got a, a forest uh, thing. Like, it was almost like a... Um, General Nathan Bedford B. Bedford, Bedford Forrest, if yes. you're not familiar with him. And, he's, uh, he's, he was in the news. Uh, he fa- yeah, he fact he looms large over our fair city. Um, but no, the, the weird thing was like he goes, he showed me this collection and it was like, she just got right here. And I was like, oh, who's that? And it was like the scary guy with like a beard. And this yeah. is like a Civil War era photograph. That's your relative. That's Andrew Jackson Ward. Wow. And I was like, oh, Okay. Wow. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so there's that happening. Um, but no, there's the, you know, she grew up in a, in a, in a, like a, you know, very like farm community mm-hmm. and, um, you know, idyllic life. You know, her, my grandfather was a farmer and, um, and then she met this, 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 this urbanite, this, this Italian man from New York. Swashbuckling. Yes, he came and, <laughs> and, and they fell in love and the rest is history. But, wow. um, and they gave it a go. And you know, they were living and uh, they lived in Virginia a while because he was, uh, after he got out, he was doing some government work. And then um, they gave it a go in, in Staten Island, which is funny because my girlfriend's from Staten Island and, and they literally, I think they lived like down the street from where she grew up. Oh, wow. Which is weird, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so mom hated it. Okay. Did not dig the Staten Island in nineteen mid nineteen sixties. New York was a um, it was a tough place to live. Yeah. It is now, but it was really a tough place to live then because there were there was a lot of there was garbage strikes and water shortages, and the and the in New York at the time was suffering from. I mean, it was in debt and it was kind of a mess. And uh, she was like, "We're going back to the south," and they did. And uh, and so that's when I came along a little bit later, but. Uh, was raised kind of kind of the inverse of uh, Green Acres, another uh... right. <laughs> very similar, very similar. To oh gosh, um, no, so, but it's 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 good. And, so you were uh, born and raised, or you? I was born and raised yeah, here, man. yeah, yeah, and uh, and had the uh, had the Yankee dad in the house, so that was cool. Yeah, yeah, no, it was great. It was, and, and we you know we would go. Um, of course, I was. I lived closer to my to my southern family, and we would, you know, do Christmas and 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 what have you with them, Thanksgiving, and just sweet, wonderful people. And you know, once a year we'd go up to uh, we'd go up to to uh, the shore because I had family and grandmother was in, was in the Jersey Shore, and then we'd go in the city too. But um, and they're just very like they're very Italian. They're very just like kind of yelling at you all the time. Yeah, and like why are you t-, you know like making fun of my accent? And, oh, nice. And it, yeah, no, it was very traumatizing. But no, I lo- that loved them to you know. <laughs> but it was like, why are these people yelling? You know, because it's a very that's a very cultural thing. Uh, to do up there, but uh, hanging with my wife's family, would would, would this happen? You know, the, the brothers and sisters start to have a conversation, and then as it gets heated, it drifts off into Sicilian or to whatever. Yeah, like like all of a sudden they're just like, "Mama's sauce was not like." I mean, literally, like ne- yeah. there was this huge ongoing thing. The about, hand start working. No, the, the yeah. neck bone sauce ingredients was like. Oh, well, that's a, it. Was like straight out of a TV show. I'm that's like, a big like, this is, point. Like of- she never used basil. We couldn't afford basil. Like it's like what? Uh, yeah, it was a big yeah. It's hilarious. So my mother, my southern mother, learned our family gravy. It's called gravy. Yeah, right. right. And certain, but um, but it's this, essentially it's the tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. And she learned it by hanging out with my dad's mother and just because who who didn't have a recipe, she just did it. Yeah. 
And she learned it from Angelo, who, Angelo is my great-grandfather, who's the guy that came over, right? Yeah. And mom still has this, she wrote it down, and this is in like 50 years ago, or over 50 years ago, and has it now laminated. It's oh, pretty cool. cool. It's yeah. the recipe for the family. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like a piece of history for a, our a, family. A little bit of trivia, Scott Bayo is a distant cousin of my wife's. Oh, Wow. I don't know Old Scott. Uh, Charles, Charles in Charge. Charles in Charge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Of my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So somehow he's related to the uh, La Rosa family. Somehow that was, yeah, a thing. So, man, so so you're a, a creation of, of, of North and South, so to speak. Yeah, and, definitely. Li- literally. And um, th- this, you know, we're, we're covering some players, some of our, our favorite players here in town. And uh, just kind of getting your uh, bird's eye view of uh, what it's like, you know, hitting the, the streets, the grind of a Memphis musician. And it's been pretty busy lately. Yeah, seems. man. You know, just yeah, released, you just released, released your... Uh, right. Yeah, I just CD. released my first uh, album uh, as a... Um, front man. Front man, yeah, yeah, I guess you would say. Um, yeah. And it's called Where's Joe. Uh, it is a jazz quartet record. I wanted to do... You know, I was planning on doing the first record was going to be something like this. I had to, you know, uh, I have we have a regular Sunday gig and um, the band uh, coalesced over time into something. I was like, well, this is really cool. And and this is something that needs to be I'm hoping to be able to document this. Didn't really have a way of doing it. um, At first, we're essentially like which was cool about the band is we start we were starting when we started, we were doing a lot of the the um, the sort of instrumental tradition from Memphis, like especially, um, you know, something akin to what Willie Mitchell was doing, the mm-hmm. dance party stuff, and a lot of the stuff that was happening at Sun um, Studio or the Bill Black Combo, which was, a, of course, that was High Records as well. So we were we were um, kind of taking um, a sort of a note from that playbook a nod from that playbook. But we were also, I mean, I have really good players that also are familiar with the um, the jazz tradition, I'll say in air quotes. But like, um, stand, we know a lot of standards. Mm-hmm. I've been playing that music for a very long time. And so does uh, the rhythm section I have are like, we're like, the bass player is literally a professor of mine in college. Yeah, so, Tim, Tim Goodwin. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, he's, there's, Tom Leonardo on drums. I mean, these are two guys I grew up watching and idolizing. And uh, they, you know, famously were, or famously to me at least, and probably some other people in town, they were Mose Allison's rhythm section, the great Mose Allison, um, Atlantic Records. I mean, just a legendary pianist and singer uh, from Mississippi. It was like the hip of all hip, yeah. super hipster, yeah. um, bebop singer, jazz singer, and piano player. Whenever Mose would come in this area, he would use those two guys. So they were like his rhythm section. So just to have like that level mm-hmm. of a rhythm section is such, I mean, I can't explain how how important or how lucky I am to have that kind of collective experience. We're talking about two guys that have been playing music each of them you know longer than i've been alive yeah you know like on a professional level at a high level so having those two guys it's just like whatever i want to do from that you know they know a million songs i can do that just call Mm -hmm. the shadow of your smile whatever it may be a standard american songbook thing so we had that as well in our arsenal and of course and then to top it off had art edmonston who's just like you know 
barrel house, honking, entertaining, incredible saxophone player. And so, uh, you know, we have this regular gig we get to do every week, and that really starts to help you find what your band sound is. Because in my experience, and I don't know about you guys, but like, because I know you have a regular gig, and and um, and I know you, you I'm sure you do too, where it's like, you're finding your sound, you're finding your way as a collective, mm-hmm. and the yeah. only really way to do that is play a lot of gigs. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 then I think, and I'm not, you know, this is a this is a standard I think process that's been around since time immemorial is like play a lot of gigs and start to develop that sound, coalesce that sound, and then document it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can. Mm-hmm. So. I think we, you know, we got to the point where I was like, "This is ready to be sort of put in the oven, so to speak." And um, Blue Barrel, uh, uh, a friend of mine who is a producer at um, uh, executive producer at this Blue Barrel Records, which is a uh, is ministered by a friend of mine, Ward Archer. Yeah, they do they do a really cool thing. They do two projects a year, and their sort of mission statement is: we will do. Your so we'd go to you know Carl came along wanted to do his first record yeah it has to be your first record right you can't ever have made uh, a record under your own name before mm-hmm. but they'll they'll give you a one record deal wow and it's a legitimate budget and with their administration you know all their admin capabilities and their history of being able they've made you know tons of records over, yeah ever oh, Archer yeah. and mm-hmm. music and arts they administer this thing. And uh, they offered me, you know, the opportunity to do it, and so I was like, "Absolutely, I got the band. We already have uh, a huge book of music." Yeah. Um, and so, really, it was just a matter of um, putting together the recording team and getting a concept for how we wanted it to sound. I kind of had that already in play, but just to communicate that, mm-hmm. and the, that part was fairly easy. And then going through the, then you know, the people don't understand like with records, it's like all the Figuring out the art direction and yeah. strategies, what have you, uh, marketing, whatever. Um, but no, it was. It's been uh, like kind of a dream come true, and it's like putting out that first one. It's like it's a hurdle. It's like getting the first one done. <clears throat> it's tough, and like it helps you stamp yourself as a you know as a solo artist. And I think okay. So so speaking of which, so you're you're. Uh Cause you, you call, I mean, you're, you're a session, but you're somewhat of a chameleon uh, player. So is is is, is, yeah. is this is this a specific branding of of of, of Joe, so to speak? I, I, or, or is it still is it is it one of your? I think it's I one, think one it's something I'm doing of, uh, now, but it does accompany uh, uh, compass things that I've been doing as well. Mm-hmm. I know that's not a perfect answer, but like it's it's you know a group again going back to this group idea. Yeah. It is a group that I'm working with now, but within that context is all the musical, a lot of the musical uh, uh, things that I find important. I mean, there's overarching musical concepts that I find important, but specifically stylistically, I was like, you know, I had specific objectives uh, for this project. Like, I wanted to highlight some of the post-war styles and guitar players that I'm very interested in. <clears throat> like I've I've talked about this, um, I think in the press for it is is you know guys like Bill Jennings, uh, Tiny Grimes, um, 
Billy Butler. These were players that aren't like big names in the jazz world. But if you're a, a fan of of this certain genre of music, and even like rockabilly players and blues players are familiar with these guitar players because they were sort of like kind of on the ground. Um, they were guitar players that that kind of like me. I think jumped around like they might be playing in an R&B group they might be right. like someone like Louis Jordan or they might be playing with like a bebopper like you know Jack McDuff or Willis Jackson you know mm-hmm. where that the, the genre lines were a little blur they're a little more blurry so there was someone that could make a you know a more sophisticated session or could do something a little more gut bucket mm-hmm. which I think is kind of a hallmark of, of Memphis too of like all the great Memphis players who could go and play like a quote unquote sweet, you know, gig or sweet session or play kind of, but, and then, you know, after hours go and like play something kind of raunchy too. We actually Mm -hmm. do, you know, so that's something I wanted to play around with and get on to tape, if you will, with this group. So we can kind of do both, you know, and I've always liked that. It's like, you know, you can play something sophisticated, but you can play the blues. You can play something. You can play something by Charlie Parker, but you can play something by Johnny Hooker if you mm-hmm. want it. You know, like mm-hmm. that sort of idea. And I think it's cool to have musicians here that can do that as well. So these all f- three of the other musicians yeah. in the band are, are like, yeah, totally adaptable to that. Right. So um, yeah, you also had a um, a video. I'll yeah, to the Starlight Motel thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, was um, cool. that was a result. So one cool thing about the label is they um they do in they do have a, a, a small video budget. And um I have just so happens I have a friend named Drew Fleming, um who's been getting all kind of awards and doing all kind of stuff around yeah. town as a, a cinematographer and as a a budding uh filmmaker. He's actually um also uh I'm in. I'm in. I work with this soul singer named Don Bryan. I'm in this band, The Bow Keys. We can talk about as yeah, well yeah, if you totally, want. Yeah. Um, so, like a real Memphis traditional classic soul uh, band, and um, and Drew's doing a documentary on on on, on Don right on Don, as we speak. Yeah. Um, so he's this young up and coming uh, talent, and uh, he was the first guy I went to. I was like, I want to do a video, and. Uh, <laughs> I go, he goes, all right, cool. He was like, yes, absolutely. And he has, um, it is a friend of his named Jason Lee has since moved to New York. We lost a really great talent in Jason. Right. Um, they're like, yeah, we, we want to both do this. And I just go, here's the record. I'm not going to tell, I'm not just here it is. And you let me know what you think Wow, is yeah. the most cinematic, yeah. right, you know, visual right. And, they, and I was like, please pick Starlight Motel. Please pick Starlight Motel. Please pick Starlight Motel. And, uh, the same. and so we had this, like, uh, we went to, uh, we went to, we went to had lunch and, and they were meeting. We, like, we want to do Starlight Motel. And I was like, yeah. And they had actually already came up with, like, a whole conceptual thing that really nice. was, was, it was really weird, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, like, dude, are you reading my mind? What's wow. going on? I like the uh, the mirror shot with Tim. Oh, yeah, um, that yeah cool. that's cool. Yeah. You picked that up. They yeah. they were so fun to work with. Like, I don't know if you guys have done. I've done a little bit of like video stuff before, and and a lot of times it can be kind of, you know, um, boring. I guess. I mean, right. it's just it's hard work. You yeah. know, it's a lot. I mean, I really have a lot of respect. I'm a big film buff myself, and. <laughs> 
I have so, a lot of respect for people in that. Someone's world. always saying, one more time. One more. Yeah. One more. Mm-hmm. Like, Hold on. We got to do the shot. We got to reset one the more. shot. You got one you more know, in you? Take <laughs> an hour, you know. Just one more. But um, <laughs> these guys were so fun to work with, and they're, they're, they're young, and they're hungry, and they're fun. And we, they were like, here's the concept. And we shot, we shot it. Um, the main shoot day, we were in um, a Motel 6 on, um, uh, oh God, where is that? It's downtown. Um, and uh, on Pauline and Union. Yeah. Wow. Like at two in the morning. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so we're, uh, I mean, and we're, you know, the doors open, lights everywhere. I mean, we're people, you can't miss us, right? <laughs> and all these, but it was funny because like all these guys would walk out, what are y'all doing? What are y'all, y'all shooting a movie? Yeah. And it's like, who goes, y'all shooting a porno in there? <laughs> yeah. Like, no, yeah, we're not right. shooting a porno. We're making a music video. Um, and, but it was, it was a lot of fun and, um, we did it on you know a shoestring budget real quick and but I'm really pleased with it. That's yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it was fun yeah, it was. and I'm, it was like I want to do more of this, you know. So um, we're actually working on a couple of other idea uh, project ideas, me and Drew. So uh, he's, terrific. He's really talented. Oh yeah, he's got to watch out for. Yeah, his dad's a a big what trout fly fisherman, right? Trent, you, you, ever, you ever meet his I've dad? I've never met his dad. He, he's, he, he's, he's got a pretty, meet him, yeah. He's got a pretty successful blog on fly fishing. Really? Trout, trout fishing. Yeah, he's a real interesting guy. Banker and fly fisherman. Wow. Yes. No. Well, his son is quite talented. <laughs> Actually, his dad introduced me to Jason Isbell yeah. record, which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. Drew's, uh, yeah, Drew's, uh, I, got a, I got a show Friday. Drew's like, oh, sorry, Jason Isbell. I'm like, Ugh. I was like, I understand. He's, I think he's going to try to like maybe even shoot some stuff at that show. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I have my friend... Um, my friend, uh, uh, um, um, Chad Gamble, was the drummer in that band. Oh, cool. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Known many years. So, so we, yeah. we, we jumped in this conversation talking about hair metal, which is fun. Yeah. And, and, and so uh, was it always so, talking about, so talking talk about hair metal. a little bit about your musical journey of like, you know, your ute and then, uh, coming into like this, this spectrum of Memphis music and, mm-hmm. and kind of what sure. you're swimming in now. Well, back in May. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, yeah, no, it's get, just like the dog off Secret Life, <laughs> Secret Life of Pets. I, I forgot who the actor is for that, but I just I, watched it with my kids. Yeah, when I was a kid, <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, going back to that, actually, going back to the the MTV thing is like that's really where I think a lot of kids or guys my age and gals my age, people my age would have connected with the guitar music in general is watching music videos, right? And it it really, I think it. I think about it now, and I, I think it was like, I want, that's cool. I want one of those. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, Mom, I want to get that, you know, kind of thing. And, um, you know, it was like, and, but I also had a friend I know who I was, you know, go over to his house and he had a guitar, and I was just always picking it up. You know, I think that's kind of how th- things can start is just sort of the tactile. Yeah. You know, you know just picking, like, this feels good mm-hmm. for some reason. Can't play it, you know. Um, don't really have any kind of musical background. My grandmother played wonderful uh, gospel piano by ear. I used to sit, you know, next wow. to her at, on the piano bench. Uh, and but as far as like some sort of overarching, you know, f- 
musical education that mm-hmm. came out. No, I mean, I was just like, this is cool. Yeah. Um, and from there it was like pretty quickly, I got an instrument and, um, kind of a couple weird lessons that kind of didn't go anywhere really unless, you know, other than like, here's where you put your fingers and here's the Peter Gunn theme, you know, kind of, oh, deal. Yeah. and just kind of getting the process going. And, uh, you know, it was the eighties where you could, there were starting to be like magazines you could buy, you could right. find, you know, you know the deal. And you started to find some information that way. And the cool thing was, I was lucky in my neighborhood, there was um, some other uh, fellas that were doing the same thing. And I was pretty quickly in a band, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty, you know, almost off the uh, cuff. I was like playing in a band and like learning songs. Um and I think that is invaluable just to like work with someone else, get the creative juices flowing and like learn how to <clears throat> put songs together. And and then, I mean, I was thinking about it today, uh, the other day actually of like going, like our first gig, I think it was in Handy Park and just like how nervous I was and like, what am I, what do you do on stage? <laughs> like. I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. What do I do with my feet? Do I move? Do I like, you know, we're playing like, (laughs) you know, like Black Sabbath covers or whatever, whatever we were doing, like kind of, you know, punk rock, misfit, you know, just punk punk rock and metal essentially was what we were trying to do. And from there, um, you know, we started playing with this little trio. We were playing like the Antenna Club and we played the Lucent and we played... Um, you know, community centers, and we played gigs. Mm-hmm. And I don't know without that experience, then I don't, I don't know if it would have clicked. I think it was like just pretty quickly yeah. doing what I'm doing now, right. <laughs> playing gigs. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, starting to make choices because you know when you're a kid, you're getting all of this musical information from all. At least I was. I mean, because I, I had three older sisters, so there was that. There was their musical choices. They had boyfriends who had musical choices. Hey, kid, here, take here's a cassette of this. I, you know, my, you know, you play guitar. Oh, that's cool. Have you heard this? You know, um, older cousins, my family, my mother and father's uh, record collection, mm. which was invaluable. I would you know sneak down there and pull those things out and put on. Anything from, you know, they had like Ray Charles records. They had Neil Diamond records. They had Roberta Flack records. They had Beatles records. Uh, My sisters had the whole college um, rock, indie rock thing, you Mm -hmm. know, from like R.E.M. to the Smiths. I mean, not that Mm -hmm. it was like anything that I was like super into, but it was like I'm getting input. Yeah. You know, your friends are going, hey, have you heard this Van Halen record? (laughs) Have you heard the, you know, you're just getting things sent your way. Yeah. My dad is, we're in opera Memphis. My dad is a huge Italian opera guy. Wow. So we grew, I grew up on Sundays, like UC Burling and Caruso and poverty blaring like dad, turn it down. My God, you know, um, <laughs> but just getting introduced to all kinds of music mm-hmm. at a, at a, you know, at that age when you're starting to make choices, which is like, you know, for me it was like 12, you know, 11, 12, 13, and then, you know, playing bands. And then, you know, by my j- junior year, I got into, I was at White Station and I got into a jazz band. So I was like, I want to I join the jazz. I always knew it was like, I want to do something, you know, 
what's the next thing? Yeah. I'm still doing that. It's like, what's the ne- I want to do something else. Mm-hmm. So I got into a jazz band, and I had a great, really great uh, band director. And, you know, that is like a turning point. Because it was like, oh, wait, I got to learn how to, like, read these charts right. and play all this, like... You know, the, the, the stakes had been upped. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'd been raised from, you know, playing at, uh, playing in a punk band to like trying to like, you know, play a, a chart of arranged music, a Neil Hefty chart. The, the term yeah. is changes, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Playing changes. <laughs> well, and that is actually. Chord changes. <laughs> that was a huge thing oh, for me, like oh, yeah. chord change. Like, what is that? Like harmony and like this. I didn't understand how people did this. Yeah. You know, how do people, especially improvise and, 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 and Perry Wilson, who was my director, who was, uh, funny enough, you know, this would have been in the early nineties was my mother's band director in the fifties. at oh, Millington. Wow. Huh. Isn't that oh, crazy? Wow. Yeah. We had the same band director. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man. And he was like, kid, have you heard, you know, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and, right. You know, he's started to, point me in that direction because like a lot of kids I probably went when I first heard jazz I was like this is like kind of fuddy-duddy whatever and Mm. then something clicked and I was like this is the greatest thing of all time you know these are the coolest people ever right you know Um, because when I learn when I get interested in music I try to I want to find out who did I'm like because I got a history thing that I'm interested you know I like who is this person Mm -hmm. where do they come from Mm -hmm. Why are they doing it? So I, that I would go down. So wh- who is Charlie Parker? Who is, right. And I'm like, this dude is so cool, you know. Um, so that began that element, you know, of being interested in um, how to improvise, how to play over more complex harmonic yeah. things, um, and learning how to work within um, a, a band situation in that. In those contexts, yeah, you know, I guess I use the term jazz or whatever, mm-hmm. but you know, music that has a little bit more um, complex coloration, harmonic coloration, tamper, yeah. what have you. So, yeah. and then you know, I've went and started seeking out people who did this, mm-hmm. you know, on in the community. Um, I've, there's a, a guy I know named Jim Duck. I don't know if y'all know Jim. Uh, Jim Duckworth, yeah, he's a guitar player here, a great guitar player. And I, I told, I've told him this story before, but I went to, he was like playing a restaurant gig and I like went up to him after he was on break and he was like at the bar having a drink. And I was like, Hey, um, um, sir, I don't even know his name. Uh, I, can, do you give guitar lessons? No, he, he did a whole WC feels like you're bothering me, kid, you know? Yeah. And he goes, go see, he just goes, go see Ed Finney, go find Ed Finney. Mm. That's what he said. He just sort of blew me off. And I'm told him, he's like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Cause I was just a little. Snot nose punk, you know, <laughs> blew me off. That's great. Um, so I did. I went and sought out uh, uh, Ed Finney, yeah, uh, the guru. Yeah, and, right. Uh, he was playing gigs around town, and honor- ironically, that's kind of sort of through him and through some other friends. How I met Luther Dickinson and um, his brother, um, but Luther and Paul Taylor too. They were big Ed fans. Yeah. And, um, so sometimes when I'd go, when I'd go find him, they would be there or they were, we'd just talk like Ed, what, Ed, you know? Yeah. Cause Ed was playing, you know, seven chords <laughs> to be honest with you. He's playing chords that had more coloration or right. more, mm-hmm. 
extensions, if you want, not to get too um, music nerdy or theory nerdy here. But um, so I was fascinated with that, and I took I took a few lessons from him, and 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 those were interesting. And but it get, you know it's just building the yeah. thing right, yeah. and uh, and then starting to try to play gigs, you know, yeah. outside of just what I've been doing, like just in just in a band context, you know, mm-hmm. hopefully leading toward because I mean I always thought the guys that were like the sidemen, I always thought that was like very impressive, like people mm-hmm. that do that and yeah. um and trying to find opportunities to do that. And that, you know, without I'm already long winded. But that's how the yeah. process of that started. Yeah, right. You know, you, know, you just keep Asking questions. Yeah, it just keeps yeah. growing. You get more opportunities, and then doing a little bit of homework, and you can show up and play a little better the next time. And just showing up. And showing up to Carl's gig. And yeah, yeah just showing maybe up. Yeah, that's yeah. You know, which gets harder when you get older. And you try to tell students that, and you know, you're like, just just go, just practice now, yeah. and show up the stuff now, because <laughs> yeah. it just gets more difficult as you get older. It does, you know, and, and it's just. And but eventually, if you show up, um, you're going. I believe this. You're going to get asked to play, and you're probably going to get asked to sub the gig. Hmm. And that's what happened to me. I was just showing up, and eventually, I mean, I'd show up to see Calvin Newborn, who's my hero. Hmm. Um, and eventually, I was subbing the gig for Calvin. Nice. You know, with uh, Charlie Wood, who's mm-hmm. a, who's a friend and a and a huge influence. Hmm. Someone I look up to. Immensely incredible talent, um, and he was doing this gig uh, seven nights a week at King's Palace, uh, you know. And on the weekends it was trio. And when he first started, when I first first time I saw him, it was Fred Ford playing uh, saxophone. Who's Fred Ford is like a really important uh, Memphis musician, uh, Beale Street musician, and incredible. Uh, look him up. Uh, Fred right. was 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 this this figure who who loomed large here. But um, then eventually Fred passed, and he had Calvin on guitar in the trio. And of course, um, for me, that was just like I'm seeing this done in a way that I'm hearing on records, but to see it done, it's very different. It it has a much it has a a, a way more visceral impact on you when you're actually. This I'm you know as far as away as I am from you now seeing this man play this music uh, and going what is he doing mm. and then to go after you know on break or after the gig what are you doing <laughs> you <know? Yeah>, right. <laughs> to do that you can't put a price tag on that right um, and you know he's like ah oh, kid you know you know first he's kind of you know maybe standoffish and then you're you're there again the next weekend and eventually you'll you can develop a rapport and then like I said eventually they're like all right well can you um can you play this gig my Calvin can't make it you know mm-hmm. and then you're like oh wait I'm here now and you're not ready to do it you maybe are not even equipped to do it yet but uh you're going to figure it out one way or another yeah, or, or you're not. <laughs> or you're not, and then you're going to go home and cry and go, what's up, what's wrong? And then, and then, and then you'll figure it out. And then yeah. you figure it out, yeah, exactly. Gosh, it's you know, of, I, yeah, right? I, I, had a, I had a smooth jazz gig, of all mm. things, in St. Louis. Yeah, and, you told me about Yeah, and it was, no, it was literally like one of the best ear training and sight, sight playing. I mean, because I, I stood behind the keyboardist, and I, I said, 
you know, there's no Spotify. There was no, there's, there's no, not, not even a set list. Just like, I just had to look, I had to read his left hand because he would, he kind of showed I've me. I've heard like, that he, about all bass players. Every bass, good bass player good knows, tells me a story like, like yeah. that. Oh man, yeah. Just bass players. Learn, learn at least just a little bit of piano, so you can at least so at least you can someone can transcribe when you. Do, I didn't know any of these songs. I'm talking like a four hour set, and you're like, I don't know a single one of these songs. Yeah. So I'm just just glued, you know. Oh, okay, so there's a okay. There's oh god, here comes a bridge. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> How's that go? Okay, Tim, cool. Tim yeah. uh, Tim Goodwin told me that's basically like he, he learned all the standards. Oh. Was that was a story just like you're telling, and it was like a piano player, like a some kind of probably hotel gig or whatever. <laughs> right. And he, and even to this day, he doesn't. I'm not going to say he doesn't know all the names of the songs, but a lot of times you'll go, let's play this. He'll go, wait, what? And you'll go, right. and oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he knows the melody. He'll know the song inside and out. He just can't remember. Uh-huh. The, you know, it's like, I don't really know it, the name. I just right. learned it because I'd played a million gigs. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, that. I've learned whole show. Like, I'm not, because bra- I'm not like some perfect pitch super ear guy, but like, I've learned whole shows in bands never rehearsed just that, you learn yeah. them on the bandstand isn't that something yeah. man and, and man, there is n- there is no better training it really there really oh. isn't yeah. there's a heightened sense of awareness <laughs> <laughs> yeah and fear <laughs> a little, the, it's, it's a positive anxiety <laughs> it can, yeah it, well that's a good point I mean that's like, Lord. that's like a whole nother like rabbit hole we can go down but like um, being on the, the being on stage and being comfortable enough eventually just to go, okay, well, that's the one. That's, that's right. fine. Yeah. You know, just starting to, like, hear how changes work. Yeah, man. And, um, and but if you can, and then relying also on your, your groove, your pocket, if you're, if you're, if you are a, a rhythm section musician. Yeah. Uh, that like, but if I just make it funky, it's gonna be all right. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we talked about this with uh, Adam. It's like bass players, and well, you know, as a guitarist, you can kind of come in and you know, Adam we have the luxury of of kind of oh yeah, laying back and go. Well, Floating. I can hit this you, you song get the, the flow a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> get, the, get the flow a little right. bit. I can oh, hear. Yeah. yeah, we got we got a little bit of lag time before yeah. we can you know, respond in, or, in, in or, most situations. You know, you can not, have a song but, with a bunch of changes, and like especially if you're playing like you were saying, you played a smooth jazz gig, or if you're playing like an R and B gig, you can just kind of like play like a single note, like a little <laughs> right, right, <laughs> And it's like you're not really playing the changes; you're just sort of playing funky. And then, but I mean, you know, like the, the bass player, or the song in the band, if you're playing funky, they'll be like, oh yeah, all right, you know, and you're like, right. I'm just this is I don't really know what we're doing. Um, so, well, so you were yeah. throwing out some names here. So like Memphis music. So and, and obviously you're, you're penchant for history. Uh, yeah. uh, um, so how would you describe where Memphis is now from where it's been from? Like 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 if you were if we were to kind of throw a uh, what would you call it uh, a historical philosophical uh, like your, your take on on things like the state of the state of Memphis now? music yeah you know where where it's at and how you know where it's been like highs and lows you know like I don't know that's I, a big question I, I know I know but it's like, a you, ma- because I've, well like when I try to describe Beale Street to people it's like I I, I kind of have this I have this pause because I'm thinking like well uh, there's amazing things and there's some not amazing things happening on on Beale the current state of yeah, Beale Street yeah right yeah well I mean I'd love to have I mean I'm always down to talk about Beale Street. I mean, uh, but right, you know, right, because I'm, I'm like, like, there's parts of it that are fascinating, kind of kitsch, and then there's parts of it that are just amazing. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like, how do you, 
who should I go see? I'm like, oh man, I, I right. <laughs> I think what people don't, I think a lot of people don't, I don't want to say don't understand, but maybe don't realize is that Beale Street is an idea, right? The actual street has evolved over the course of over a hundred years. And in the mid-60s, they, they tore it down. Right. That's what people don't, a lot of people don't know. I would recommend Preston Lauterbach's book. Um, yeah, great. Bill Street Empire? I, Dynasty. 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 I always yeah, say yeah, Empire. Yeah. Dynasty. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. Preston. Um, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gives you a sense of the development of, it's a great just Memphis history, and it gives you an idea of, how the street was built and and really what was going on in the early 20th century because what people what you you hear over and over again and I man it's so funny because I hear this today you do, it's not like it was right it's not like it was not like not back in my day you know remember in the 80s and the <laughs> 90s and I was around in the 90s for for some of that I remember and it, and it does feel like it was better but you, I think, like, if you read the historical uh, record, like, people in the 40s are going, oh, no, you don't, you didn't see Bill Street. Wow. This is in the 1940s and 50s. Now, you missed it. Wow. It's not like that anymore. This, it's not like it was. It was really great in the teens and 20s. That's when it was really happening. Right. Bill Street. And so, I mean, people don't understand that Bill Street was, A, it was a center of Black African American um, entertainment, commerce. This was All, commerce. Yeah. This was a stroll for African Americans because white supremacy had taken away their um, options. Yeah. They've been ghettoized. Mm-hmm. So here you go. This is where you get to do your thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we're going to control the that as well. We're going to get a piece of the action. So, you know, Robert Church controlled it, this first uh, African-American millionaire. and, and He's a fascinating character. Mm. He had a son who was also an important political figure here. Um, but, you know, the Crump machine got, you know, the, the mm-hmm. uh, uh, E.H. Crump, the, the mayor of, or the, the political boss of Memphis for many years, they were getting a piece of the action, and in return, they were able to have this little, this little place where you could be yourself, and you could, but it was also a lot of gambling, a lot of gambling, hmm. huge amount of gamble. People don't realize what a gambling center that is. Like the numbers games and the horse racing and right. all that, and a huge amount of prostitution mm-hmm. and whiskey uh, by like corn whiskey, which of course you know that's illegal. Yeah, right. But, but they're so whiskey houses, prostitution, gambling, and then music is in there. Yeah. So this is the same sort of milieu that produced what you would seen like, you know, in New Orleans and Storyville or some of these other strolls and in, in red light districts and other cities. And mm-hmm. so like it's gone through just an, an amazing development and ups and downs throughout decades and decades and decades. And in the 60s, they tore it down to do urban renewal and it just sat there just sort of in shambles. Wow. And in the 80s it was rebuilt kind of what we see it now. Okay. Okay, it was sort yeah. of rebuilt in this idea of Beale Street. All right. But that doesn't mean that there's moments that there's still some of that magic there or there's the, the, the there can't be magical things happening down there. But there, it does have a lot of problems. It does have a lot of, there's a lot of politics. There's a lot yeah. of, 
I mean, I've I've played down there. You know, it's funny because like I probably people in Memphis wouldn't think of me as a quote unquote Bill Street musician, but man, I've been playing down. A, like I just told you, my first gig was in Handy Park, like right. in the late eighties. Right. So I mean, I've been playing Bill Street for a long, long time, and I've various periods I've had a regular gig. I did a I just did like a five year stint at Alfred's every Friday and Saturday. It's we we just ended it, but um. You know, I saw a police officer killed down there a oh, few years gosh. ago. Like, watched it happen. I've seen the stampedes. I've seen, you know, I've seen, um, you know, I've, I've, you know, and I've had some incredible, I mean, I, you know, some of the great musicians from the, like, you know, the 90s that there was a guitar player named Fred Sanders and people who play down on Beale or have been down there a long time would remember Brad, I'm sure like Brad Webb or, you know, they all knew Fred and Fred was this incredible guitar player, blues singer and would play on the street. Um, and it was like T-Bone come to life, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, he's the real deal. I mean, you know, for me, Charlie Woods trio was it for mm -hmm. me to go down there and be able to play or watch that thing happen. And I was a really good friends and played with a guy named Billy Gibson for years down there. He mm -hmm. was like, he had a regular uh, gig at Run Boogie and BB King's played down there. You know, just yeah. but you know, and and seeing great band, seeing BB down there. You know, why? You know, being a kid and seeing Albert King walk up and down the street and seeing Albert King. You know, like mm -hmm. I've really actually fond and warm memories and a relationship. Even though, yes, it can be a big pain in the butt to go down there and park to find parking, right? To load in, like why? You know, the Daiquiri Bar. Why isn't this? city or why isn't the street really representing the blues in a better way than mm -hmm. it, it why is it trying to pander like you know thoughts on the drinks the people being able to buy beer off onto the street instead of being you know encouraging people to go into the clubs right, right. i mean there's a lot of issues um the racial factor which is always a thing here like these young black kids that come late at night that are kind of trying to find something to do and then a gunshot rings out and there's stampedes and like people within the city or the local business owners trying to curb that by putting right uh, 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 a financial fact you know making you pay to get on the street it's like you have to be wanded and feel like you're going into like, like Air, airport an airport security, security yeah. to get on the thing it's just bizarre yeah. and like I'm just a guitar player I'm not a politician but and I don't necessarily have all the information to quite so when you ask a question like that so complicated and it's yeah. born over years and years of 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 um of things happening that have mm -hmm. led us to this and um but i always come back to like the idea of like you didn't see it you didn't see what you know this like it wasn't as good as it was back yeah. then and it's like it, it, it's also this kind of like at times an abstract conduit because the Memphis scene is 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 huge, right? right? Of music. And then you have Beale Street. And it's small. And, and, yes. And yet when people come to town, they go to Beale Street. That's where they go. And so I've I actually meet people. Uh I mean if you can get to Midtown, if you can get the bar DKDC. I do the same thing. Right? Yeah. If you if you can, can you get get off if you can. Not that don't go there. No, 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 right. I never but, say that. Uh, right. Go there, but check out this place. Yes. yes.